Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Killer Astrology, the podcast. I'm your host, Laura, and today we're talking about the case of John George Haig, a ruthless conman and criminal who's infamous for his killings in England in the 1940s. If you've ever seen Breaking Bad, aka the best show ever to air on American television, then you likely remember a scene from Season 1, Episode 2, when Walt and Jesse dissolve of a drug dealer's corpse in hydrofluoric acid. That's the situation, minus the drugs, in which John Haig found himself during his time. Only it wasn't just one corpse, and it wasn't just once. It was six times, and it likely would have been more if he was never caught. We'll start his story at the very beginning, when John Haig was just a kid, and then we'll move into his crimes and, of course, his astrology. Let's get started. John Haig was born in the summer of 1909 in Stamford, England. He was an only child with a lot of spunk, but he had a very unexciting upbringing. His parents were practicing Christians and were members of a group called the Plymouth Brethren, a strict sect of the Christian religion. Being devoted followers of their faith, John's parents were relatively inconspicuous, and they lacked a flash factor that John craved. They were very fond of tradition, which meant foregoing some of the luxuries that other families enjoyed, like common forms of media, books, newspapers, magazines, family outings and excursions, and even holiday celebrations. It should have been all low-key, all the time in the Haig family, but John wouldn't stand for that. He had way more energy, way more enthusiasm that needed to be uncaged, and it wasn't long before he was getting himself into trouble. When he was 10 years old, John was accepted into a private religious school in Wakefield, England. He had received a scholarship to study there for his participation in the choir, but once he enrolled, teachers did not meet the stereotypical choir boy that they may have been expecting. Instead, he quickly became a notorious rule breaker, and one of his most common offenses was dishonesty. He would regularly forge teachers' signatures on important school documents in order to get what he wanted, whatever that was. And his confident sidestepping of the rules continued until he left school at the age of 17, when he took his talent for forgery elsewhere. For a short time after leaving school, John apprenticed as an auto mechanic, but he wasn't comfortable living a blue-collar lifestyle, and he soon sought more. He started working in other fields like insurance and marketing, but was fired from at least one of those jobs for stealing. He was clearly unable and unwilling to work for another person, so he started his own business venture, selling luxury cars. It was around this time in the 1930s that he met and married a woman named Beatrice Hamer, who soon became pregnant. But it wasn't long before the marriage ended because that car business that Haig was operating wasn't a business at all. It was a scam, and the cars he was selling didn't exist. So he was caught and convicted of fraud and sent to jail for 15 months. During his time in prison, his wife gave birth to their baby and quickly put the baby up for adoption and then walked away from the marriage, which honestly was a pretty bold move for the time. But it was probably the best decision she ever could have made, because Haig's spiral only got worse and worse from there. After being released from prison in 1936, John Haig found a job as a driver for a wealthy Londoner named William McSwan, whose family owned multiple properties in the area. McSwan was a rent collector, and Haig would watch him gather money from his tenants. John admired the comfortable living that his friend made from his work, 
and he made a mental note of the McSwan family's financial status. He eventually parted ways with McSwan, and Haig decided to move on from driving into a more lucrative career, if you can call it that. As you may imagine, he started yet another scam, calling himself a solicitor, or the English equivalent of a lawyer, and he opened three offices in different cities. He claimed to have multiple rich clients who were selling off their assets after their death. So he put out ads in multiple papers and wound up receiving checks in the mail from buyers of his fake items. It was an oversight of Haig's, the misspelling of the name of an estate, which prompted suspicion from a prospective buyer who went to the police. Haig, again, was arrested for fraud and went back to jail for four years this time. While serving his sentence, Haig had lots and lots of time to think long and hard about what he'd done, only he didn't think critically. Instead of analyzing his past, he thought to the future, and he asked himself what he could do to ensure that he could continue living a life of crime without the inconvenience of getting caught. He began looking through books at the prison library for information on the legal system, and he learned about a crime that had occurred in France, where a killer used acid to dispose of his victims' bodies. While Haig had never killed up to this point, he began considering it and wondered if this method could work for him. He started asking around in the prison to see if he could figure out how to get his hands on some acid. It just so happened that the chemical was accessible through his jail time work at a local factory, and he stole small quantities to take back to his cell. Once he had his chemicals, he began paying other inmates in tobacco so that they would bring him back dead mice, which he submerged in his stolen acid to better understand how long a disposal would take. He recorded his results and tucked the knowledge away until his release. Haig was soon released from prison, and as fate would have it, on the same day, ran into his previous employer, William McSwan, at a local bar. The two met a couple of times over the next few days, all while Haig was setting up a fake engineering company. He told McSwan that he had his own workshop and that he would fix a couple of pinball machines for him. So he rented a basement in London and invited McSwan over. But when they got downstairs, his guests did not get what he was expecting. McSwan was completely sidewinded by Haig, who snuck up behind him with a crowbar and hit him in the back of the head until he died. Then, Haig took his body and stuffed it into a steel drum, filled it with acid, and let the body dissolve. Then he dumped the remains down the drain. In order to completely cover his crime, Haig knew that he needed to come up with a reason for William McSwan's disappearance. At this time, World War II was going on and people were being drafted into the army, so he told McSwan's parents that their son had moved to Scotland in order to avoid the draft. Then, he became close with the McSwans and actually wound up taking on William's previous role as rent collector for their real estate company. After he'd been working with the family for a while, Haig claimed that William had returned from Scotland and wanted to meet with his parents secretly. So he brought them both to the same basement where their son had died, first Mr. McSwan and then Mrs. McSwan, and it was there that they met the same fate as their son. Haig hit them over the head, one after the other, with a metal bar, and then dissolved of their bodies in sulfuric acid. With the entire McSwan family now gone, Haig zeroed in on their assets. He forged some documents claiming that the family had moved to the U.S., and then he assumed ownership over their assets, 
he sold everything off to willing buyers and took the equivalent of around £100,000, or $131,000 in today's money. And with this money, he lived the high life. He was able to pass as a member of the upper class and engaged in the great Gatsby-like lifestyle that he so desired. But it couldn't last long, because his finances didn't come with an endless supply, and his funds ran out after about three years. Soon, he was on the hunt for another estate to take over. That's when he found Archie and Rose Henderson. They were a wealthy couple who were selling their house, and Haig made an offer to buy it. He was offering them more money than the couple was asking, stating that he believed it was worth much more than they wanted. This got the couple's attention, and they started a business relationship. Haig told the couple that he was an engineer, just like he'd said to William McSwan, and he offered to show Archie Henderson his workshop, which at this point was no longer a basement, but a small shop in the town of Crowley. When Archie arrived at the property, Haig immediately shot him in the head with a gun that he'd stolen from Archie's own home. Then he went back to the Henderson's residence, retrieved Rose, and shot her in the head when they were back at the shop. Now, both husband and wife were dead, and again, Haig was dissolving of a couple's bodies in acid. Unlike the basement he originally rented in London, Haig's new lair, let's call it, didn't have a drain. So instead of throwing the dissolved mixture of acid and human flesh down the drain, he had to dump it outside. After the job was done, he forged documents stating that the Hendersons had moved to South Africa, and then just like before, sold their assets and took ownership of the profits. Although he made the same amount of money off the Hendersons as he did with the McSwans, this time the cash disappeared quickly, and Haig needed to find yet another victim. That's when he befriended and killed Olive Durand Deacon, whose body he dissolved and then, yet again, threw in his yard. But this time, Olive was reported missing by a friend, because Haig was unable to adequately account for her disappearance and it wasn't long before the police were looking into Haig's background. Once they discovered that he had multiple prior convictions for fraud, they went to the property he was renting in Crowley, where he had disposed of the bodies of three of his victims. It turns out that Haig had made a fatal error in the disposal process of his bodies at his new shop. He believed that the sulfuric acid he relied on for his disposal had gotten rid of all pieces of the bodies, but it didn't police actually found small samples of human remains, including bones, fat, and a pair of human dentures dumped in the back of his property. The dentures belonged to Olive Durand Deacon, and Haig was caught immediately. You may be surprised to hear that Haig actually admitted to his crimes when he was found out by the police. This is because he had an incorrect understanding of the British legal system and believed that he could not get caught if the cops didn't have a body, but he was sorely mistaken, and he was put on trial in 1949 and convicted after just three days in session. At the end of the trial, he was sentenced to death by hanging and was executed in August of 1949. John Haig's crimes were vicious, and his motives were completely selfish. I'm curious to see what led John Haig to earn the title The Acid Bath Murderer. Let's take a look at his astrology to figure it out. John George Haig was born on July 29, 1909, at 7.34 a.m. in Stamford, England. 
Because he was born in the early 1900s, we can't be 100% sure that his birth time is accurate. But based on the chart, I really don't see any reason to discount it in this case. John has a Leo sun, a 19-degree Sagittarius moon, which I mentioned because it's the exact same degree as Ed Gein's Sagittarius moon, and he's also a Virgo rising. I mentioned earlier that John was a fiery and excitable child. Like all kids, he had a particular personality, and his chart shows that he had energy and a desire for self-expression and expansion. But his parents were very strict. Now, everybody has their own parenting style based on their beliefs and their traditions, and that's fine. Parents aren't usually looking at their kids' charts and then deciding what's best for them, although that would be great. So I think that John's parents didn't realize that their parenting style wasn't compatible with John's natural disposition. He was kept from being excitable and expanding out into the world, but it's really hard to extinguish a double fire sign baby. That energy, it had to go somewhere. And I think his rambunctious, rule-breaking tendencies were the product of that built-up energy. I think that caused him to act out to the extreme in school, where he probably wanted a little bit of attention, and also got more of that excitement that he craved by breaking the rules and seeing what happened. Now, can we say that he wouldn't have turned into a murderer if he had just been allowed to celebrate Christmas? I don't know. It sounds kind of ridiculous when you say it like that, but in this case, I kind of think it's possible. Just like in psychology, there is the question of nature versus nurture in astrology, and I think this is one of those cases that needs to be examined in that way. It's been said here and there in the astrology world that serial killers tend to have their sun in a mutable sign, which is a sign whose energy is most changeable and least boundaried. But killers don't only need to have their suns in mutable signs. They may not have an abundance of mutable energy, or, like in the case of John Haig, they may just have an abundance of mutable energy in different places. Haig has his ascendant in Virgo, his descendant in Pisces, his midheaven in Gemini, and his IC in Sagittarius. This means that all of his angles are in mutable signs. So what do we learn from this? Well, with his ascendant in Virgo and his descendant in Pisces, Haig was able to get a very good read on people. He used to gather information about them through conversation, but what his chart shows us is that he was able to read between the lines, underneath people's words, to understand them on a deep level. Haig was able to use the information he learned from others through his Pisces descendant in order to create an environment that he desired through his IC Midheaven Axis. His IC in Sagittarius represents his long-held desire to expand, and his midheaven in Gemini helped him create that environment through the act of getting to know others. He presented himself as a curious and social person at work, and then manipulated his conversation partners in order to take their assets. If Haig hadn't had that Gemini midheaven, he may not have been such a strong conversationalist, and he wouldn't have gotten that in. Looking deeper at the IC midheaven axis, we notice that Haig's zero-degree Venus in Virgo is square both angles within one degree. Venus has great influence over one's attitude toward money and their level of wealth. And this square very clearly represents that for Haig, the place that he created for himself in the world, his reputation, was completely dependent on his financial standing. 
and he fought, which is the nature of a square aspect, to get that financial standing and then that reputation. They were completely intertwined, and that is reflected in his crimes. I'd like to talk a bit further about Haig's charm. Charm truly is one of the most important qualities in a con artist, because the first step is to understand what their victims want. Charm helps them draw that out, but they also need the ability to truly understand what's being said, and not just that, but what's not being said. And then once they gather all their information about their victim's desires, the con artist needs to be believable in communicating that they can fill the victim's gaps and more. Haig was able to do all of this partly because of his Pisces descendant and partly because of his 11th house placements. The 11th house is the house of networks and community, and Haig had a lot of planetary energy there, helping him find his inn. First, he had Neptune in the 11th, which broke down the spiritual barriers between him and the people that were giving him more insight into their unspoken desires. Then, he had Mercury in Cancer, which opened the lines of communication between him and others even further, as Cancer is very connected to the collective consciousness. Then, Haig was able to use all the information he learned and put it into a performance to give whoever he was trying to manipulate whatever it was they wanted, and to make it believable. The last thing that I'll mention is that Haig had Pluto in the 10th house, which made him very compelling to others, and may have given him a unique magnetism in his work dealings. It also represents that his dark side was connected to his reputation and his work, which of course is very apparent when we hear his story. As individuals, we all have our own darkness to grapple with, but we're not alone. We live in a world with many, many other people, and together we create a system. On a personal level, our difficult truths need to be exposed to us before we can work on them, and the same is true in systems. The downfalls of a system or a society need to be exposed before, as a group, we decide to come together to work on them. Right now, we're in that process in America, but every country and every group goes through periods where they need to re-examine what they're doing and reevaluate. Usually, and unfortunately, it takes something shocking to happen to motivate this change, because otherwise people are comfortable continuing on as they've always been. Now, this seems off-topic, but I promise I'm getting to a point. I believe that every person has a purpose, whether they live the life of a saint or the life of a criminal. And my hypothesis is that Haig's purpose in his existence was to be that shocking event that caused his system to look at itself critically. I say this because his murders were interwoven with some serious systemic issues, class, economics, social politics, and his case brought those to the forefront. I think maybe he was meant to spark some kind of change in society. And I don't know enough about British history or what happened after this case to know whether that happened. But I'd actually really like to find out. Brief announcement. I've decided that I'm going to create a Patreon account in the very near future. And there I'll be able to expand on a couple of things I haven't gotten to touch in my podcast so far. The first thing on my agenda is related to Ed Gein. But the second thing will be related to Haig. And what I'll do is analyze his chart next to the chart for England, and see what themes he's bringing to light. I'll let you know when that Patreon is about to drop, 
If you follow me on social media, I'll post it there. I'll probably also mention it here. But for now, we'll take a pause, and I'll be back with you next week for an episode on a female killer. Until then, take care, and remember, people may lie, but the stars never do. If you liked what you heard today, please share this podcast with your friends and consider leaving a five-star rating. You can follow the podcast on social media using the information in the episode description. Visit my website, killerastrologypodcast.com, for reference information for each episode and more.